In the year 1863, the United States was in the midst of the Civil War, and things weren't going very great for the Union. They had suffered repeated defeats, and the idea that the country could be reunified seemed like a pipe dream. But as that year started, Abraham Lincoln did something to shift the focus of the war and change the path of American history forever. His actions and the staunch beliefs of a select few led to the creation of two regiments of Massachusetts infantry composed of black men. It was a highly controversial move, and the entire country watched with anxious eyes to see how well these men would fight. In this episode of HPH, we're talking about the bravery, patriotism, and all-around badassery of these regiments and the effect they had on America as a whole. It's a great story, and we can't wait to tell it. So grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Hunter Proof History titled The Black Regiments of Massachusetts Moral Victories. This is Hundred Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Oh, hello, Christopher. And hello, listener. As some of you know, we live in Texas. And Texas, about once a year, gets nice and icy. And everything shuts the fuck down because they don't have the infrastructure to deal with it. Whether that's our renowned power grid or our total of seven sand trucks for the entire state of Texas. That might be stretching it a little bit. (laughs) But as a result of this... Uh, we are currently iced in, because this shit ain't snow. It's white, but it's ice. Like that rapper man. <laughs> All that is to say, I can't go anywhere. There ain't shit to do. And I still don't want to do this fucking podcast. <laughs> Chris, how are you? <laughs> you know, I'm actually pretty good. Uh, I was thinking about this today. You know, in the, in this episode, we're going to talk about some great things that black men did and some not-so-great things that, you know, some white men from the South did. Back to Vanilla Ice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the I'm your typical white guy. Yeah? We're telling a story about black men, and literally the first thing I, I shoehorn into the conversation is a white rapper. <laughs> <laughs> That's so typical. Yeah. <laughs> I did not, uh, did not mean it that way. It wasn't intentional. No. <laughs> No, so if you hear that set up, you know, good, black, bad, white, you might be living in a state such as Florida, where you're not allowed to hear things like this, and I apologize. The only reason we're allowed to do it in Texas is because it is iced over, and Greg Abbott can't get out of his house and go up the slight incline of his driveway to come attack us personally for doing such a story. Hey, you're making fucking jokes. Mm -hmm. I can't get up my driveway. I've got a uh, sloped driveway, oh. and I had to, I had parked at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I can't walk up the driveway because it's so fucking icy. Mm-hmm. I have to like claw my way up through the jasmine in the yard because it you know it's something to grab onto. It's ridiculous. Wolf Dick hit the Vivaldi Four Seasons. Not only does this guy have an elevated estate, he has an entire jazz band in his front yard. Jasmine. Yeah, you said you had to climb through the jasmine to get to your front door. It's a fucking 
Mardi Gras in your front yard every day. I guess I don't get the reference. Jazz men, jazz band. Oh, God, <laughs> God I'm slow. <laughs> mm. Well, before I embarrass myself any further, Chris, why don't you tell these fine ladies and gentlemen about our source today? All right. Today, our source is Thunder at the Gates, the Black Civil War regiments that redeemed America by Douglas R. Egerton? Egerton? Edgerton, dude. Edgerton. Okay, that's probably right. Um, a very good book. It'll go into a lot of things we won't today, just because it does a lot of the personal stories of the individual soldiers. Goes into a little more in-depth detail about some of the regiments that we won't actually get too involved in, even though they're a big deal. They just don't have as big an impact in this story as one might think. But overall, very good book. I would highly recommend it. Well, that's the thing about these books is it's like we typically, a lot of the times, we'll use a single source, a single book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the um, the uncouth listener, the piece of shit version of our listener, mm-hmm. like, well, <laughs> I'll just go read the book. All right, go read the fucking book. Mm-hmm. You see how much information you got to parse out of there <laughs> in your 20 hours of reading a fucking book. Who wants to read a book, dude? We do it for you. And you're not even thankful. Mm-hmm. Plus, you go read Thunder at the Gates, and you tell me how many penis jokes are in there. That's true. How Very- many disembodied hand with googly eyes that masturbate people without consent. It's a fine line. You tell me how many <laughs> of those jokes are in there. Oh, that's true. We give the people what they want, you know? We provide a service. Even if they don't want the service, we, we give it to them. They take our service. We are here to service you. Like a prostitute on the very bad side of town. <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're going to pay me, so you might as well take this. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> ma'am, is, is that a penis? <laughs> All right, now I'm paying you double. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we have a long way to go. In a short time to get there. You think we're ready to load it up and truck it? Okay, well. Yeah, let's fucking do it. Yeah! Our story begins in early 1861. Abraham Lincoln had just been elected as the 16th president of the United States, and the southern states were big mad about that. They didn't like his position as a free stater, which is someone who believed that the institution of slavery should not be spread to newly created states. The shithole state of South Carolina, through which 60% of all slaves had entered the country, had already seceded from the United States, and 10 other southern states would follow shortly, forming the Confederate States of America. Now, Despite what your neighbor who drives a lifted truck with a Confederate flag and a shiny pair of truck nuts might tell you, the main point of contention was slavery. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's state rights, you know, state rights. Federal government overstepped the reach. It's like, calm down. State rights to do what? Well, whatever they wanted, you know. They're to govern themselves, and you're like, Steve, you... What were they trying to do at the time? Well, you know, it's just, um... Maintain their their way of life, support their economy. Yeah, what was the massive 
massive part of their economy that would be affected. Hmm? Uh, what rule know, would uh, what rule would change that? Oh, hmm? uh, you know, tariffs and big business and socialism. It's probably it's all socialism, man. I'm telling uh, you what. Yeah, fucking CRT, <laughs> boy. Let me tell you. <laughs> Meanwhile, the neighbor is like, Steve. We live in Montana. There were no Confederates here. <laughs> I'm telling you, though, it's heritage, not hate. <laughs> you know, I don't believe Who's in... Who's heritage? Uh, well, yeah, well, I got family. Yeah, they immigrated from Canada. Illegally, I might add. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm mad, and I need something to be mad at, Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to take personal responsibility and be mad at my own situation for what I did to get here. <laughs> no. No, I must blame others. I'm just saying there's a certain class of people who've caused all my problems and are causing all the problems for America. And as a patriot, that upsets me. Well, what, what kind of people are those? Oh, no. Oh, you're not going to get me that. <laughs> not going to answer that question. Me and a couple of buddies are going to see the comedian Shane Gillis here pretty soon. And I was watching one of his specials the other day, and he was talking about how his dad's like a Fox News dad. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, yeah, he bas- he watches it every single night until he gets so mad that he has to turn it off to where he has to make the decision to go to bed because he's so angry. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's so ridiculous that you, w- you just <laughs> want to be enraged that fucking much. <laughs> yeah, I want to feel something. Yeah. <laughs> Well, despite Steve from Montana's protestations, the southern states all implied, or flat out said in their Articles of Secession, that they were quitting America because they were worried the federal government would tell them that they couldn't own other human beings and treat them like farm equipment anymore. I feel like that's, you know, common knowledge. I feel like most people who have been involved in that stupid argument with a stupid person, I'm like, okay, well, everybody said that. Everybody said, we're quitting because of slavery. But uh, what you might not know is that Abraham Lincoln, he had no real intentions of ending slavery. He was like, let's just not let it expand. You know, this is... Well, at first, I mean, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. That wasn't his open intention, no. No, no. He He knew that would be a a non-starter. So it's just like, all right, new territories, no, no. Yeah, that's true. It's just... You know, just like the Democrats trying to take my guns, they're just like, well, we just want stricter background checks. Like, no, I know how this goes. First, you want stricter background checks. Next thing you know, I'm in a fucking box in a FEMA camp. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, my house is getting drone strikes on it. Yeah, okay, because I didn't fill out the registry. And I got barcodes in my skin with the vaccine chips tracking me. You you, you think I don't know how this goes, okay? <laughs> I've Those drone strikes, they're fucking bad business. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. You know how many drone strikes Obama did? <laughs> yeah, he did, a, he did a lot. But, uh, Steve, I also remember you cheering for him when Bush was doing them. Well, I mean, <laughs> those were sensible. Those schools needed to be hit. The schools that Obama hit, no. No, sir. That was a radical political agenda. <laughs> That's because he wanted to make us all gay and take our guns and make me eat healthy and take my oil in my truck and shit. My gas stove? <laughs> he wanted my gas stove. 
What is that about? Oh. So, I don't know who it was. Somebody came out, Department of Health or somebody, figured out that they did a big study and found gas stoves lead to increased occurrences of asthma in children. So they said, maybe we'll think about passing a law that says new construction cannot include gas stoves. You know, you can't build it into a new home. Mm. And all of a sudden, that's, they're coming from my stove. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you for explaining that. First, they make the M&Ms less sexy. And then, (laughs) they take away my gas stove. I'm sorry, I thought this was America, where I could fuck candy and cook up eggs Benedict <laughs> like I want. Oh. I don't think Steve's having eggs Benedict. <laughs> no, he's not. He would call that uh, way too gay for him. Yeah. I'm sorry, eggs Benedict, like Benedict Arnold, the man who betrayed George Washington and the Union? Oh, wait. Like the Benedict? Union. The the nickname Benedict? Nickname for a penis? No. <laughs> Not doing it. Not putting that in my American mouth. <laughs> no, sirree. Yeah. All right, I should probably get back into this. Okay. Yeah, so Lincoln didn't think ending slavery was the prudent move, at least not in this point of his presidency. On April 12th, 1861, the Confederates bombarded the Union-held Fort Sumter in a bloodless battle that officially kicked off the Civil War. Lincoln and the North were now at war with the Confederacy, but his main goal was reunification. And I love Lincoln. Great guy. It's going to take him a little while to see the light, you know, but I do see where he's coming from because, you know, when I caught my wife with the CPA last week, she wasn't doing taxes, like she said. Mm. She said, well, what if we had an open marriage? Or, you know, we could just kind of, like, go out and have non-committal relationships with other people. You mean, like, we've, we're filing separately? <laughs> Is that what you mean? Yeah. Uh, that's not what she meant, Craig. She wanted to have sex with lots of dudes. But since, oh. but since my main goal was reunification, I'm like, baby... You can keep having sex with other guys as long as you stay here and keep buying those Costco brand chicken tindies because they're really good. <laughs> Just completely placating. Yeah. I mean, that's me and Lincoln. We're the same person, basically. <laughs> okay. Both American heroes in the end. That's how it's going to work out. When you get her to agree to that, and then ultimately you tell her that she's only allowed to have sex with like two people mm-hmm. total. At any given time. <laughs> and then, you know, then you win. But you've got right. to get your foot in the door. And that's what Lincoln was doing. That's right. It's a perfect analogy. Well, while Lincoln was ignoring the elephant in the room that was slavery, real-world shit was happening. Following battles, Union generals were being overwhelmed by runaway slaves showing up at their camps, and they had no earthly idea what to do with them. General Benjamin Butler, who had been a lawyer before the war, argued that the slaves, or bondmen, were Confederate contraband and could therefore be captured as the spoils of war, and then they could be freed. I heard that general look like a baby when he died. Yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't hear that. Baby butt? Is that a joke, or is that an actual thing? 
No, I heard General Benjamin Butler look like a baby <laughs> when he died. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Made a movie about him. <laughs> you son of a bitch. You got me. <laughs> baby with Alzheimer's. What a stupid fucking movie. <laughs> It was a long sentence. I had to wait till the end. You know? I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> so I'm like, oh shit, I need to Google him and search Benjamin Butler to see what he looked like. <laughs> <laughs> well, Congress agreed with Butler, and in July of 1861, they passed the Confiscation Act, which allowed for the seizure of all property, including humans used to aid the Confederate war effort. A year later, they signed the Second Confiscation Act, which said that the Union could seize whatever the hell damn crap they wanted from the Confederates, regardless of whether or not it was used in the war. They show up at their house, and they got a box of Cheez-Its, a few cans of SpaghettiOs. You're like, fucking mine. Dibs. Sucks mm. to suck. This also allowed them to free women and children as well as men who had been used to aid the Confederates. Not just SpaghettiOs. I mean, that was the main reason for doing it, but... Yeah, also human lives. Yeah, also, you know, valid human beings, as opposed to invalid human beings. Fuck you, Wolf Dick. <laughs> Got him. The Second Confiscation Act also had a provision that empowered the president to, quote, employ as many persons of African descent as he may deem necessary end quote, and to, quote, organize and use them in such a manner as he may judge best, end quote. At this point in the war, Lincoln's grand idea was to resettle all of the freed slaves in a Central American colony that would be named Lincolnia. How original. I just imagine the pitch meeting. Everybody's like, oh, man, what do we do to the slaves? And Lincoln's like, oh, hold on, guys, check this out. And he pulls a sheet off of a tiny model. And it looks like a theme park. Like, this is Lincolnia! Look, there's a Ferris wheel and roller coasters and, you know, a little place where you get funnel cakes. And that's where we'll send all these people to live. And they'll be so happy. It's like, well, do they have to pay the entrance fee? Well, yes, you know, it's a business. You know, it's America. It's capitalism. Come on. (laughs) But uh, it'll be great. They'll love it. You think those... Chemicals we put in the kiddie pool to see when uh, when they've peed in it and it turns blue. You think that's free? <laughs> Urban legend. I've pissed in so many bodies. Oh, of water yeah, that's all I do. Just to test that. But what you do, like when mm-hmm. you go in like a public pool or something, you know, because I do that at nearly 40 years old. But when I was <laughs> younger and you go into a pool and you kind of like you squeeze out a little pee and then you float away and look. Yeah. Because you're, you're worried. You're paranoid about it. Like, oh, there's no chemicals in here. And then you just bear down and shit. <laughs> <laughs> they got no chemicals. They're never going to catch me. <laughs> float away. Oh, man. No, I think it's a double standard because everybody pees in a pool. Everybody does it. There are a few, like, prudes who are like, oh, no, I get down of the pool every time. Oh, my. They got their stupid powdered wigs and their makeup and they're fanning themselves with the lace fans. <laughs> but we all pee in the pool. But the one time I go to the YMCA and piss into the pool from the outside, they ask me to leave. 
<laughs> I don't care if it was baby otter toddler swim time, okay? God. I had to go. <laughs> the bathroom's way the fuck over there. The concrete is scorching hot. I didn't see that baby's head. <laughs> I had my eyes closed. I was just going, oh, yeah. <laughs> While running alongside the pool. (laughs) I didn't know that's why all those children were screaming. How was I supposed (laughs) to know? My eyes closed. You ever been to a fucking public pool? Children are always screaming. (laughs) That's right. Lifeguards yelling at me. I thought it was just because I was running. I didn't know. It was the the urinating on children. (sighs) The whole public pool concept is just a gigantic game of the boy who cried wolf. Right? Lifeguards always yelling, kids always screaming. You could commit atrocities in there and nobody <laughs> would take it seriously. Well, I got arrested for peeing on children, and that's why I'm on this list now. I can't go within certain distances of school, and I got to live with all these perverts in this sporting home. <laughs> They're perverts, not me. I was wrongly accused. This is not the America Lincoln wanted. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, back to that. Yeah. Well, to kind of steer Lincoln away from the ridiculous idea of relocating every freed slave to Central America, Congress passed the Militia Act, which allowed the army to hire escaped slaves as laborers. To ease the fear of northern Democrat racists, this law did not allow escaped slaves to serve any military functions and paid them $10 a month with $3 deducted each month for uniforms, while white soldiers collected $13 a month and paid no uniform fees. It also didn't allow for northern-born freemen to serve in the army at all, which pissed off all of the northern abolitionists. Meanwhile, things were going pretty shittily for the Union when it came to actually fighting the war. General George B. McClellan, a.k.a. the worst general in American history, You can come at me, internet history bros, if you don't agree. Hit me in the comments, I will fucking destroy you. (laughs) He had failed to see several battlefield advantages and seemed hesitant to attack. This was a major problem because a lot of the soldiers were about to finish up their one year of service and go home. In September of 1862, Robert E. Lee and the Confederate Army invaded Maryland, sending the North into a panic. What followed was the Battle of Antietam, which remains the bloodiest day in American history. Now, this battle probably deserves its own show, but we're quitting next week, so it'll never happen. But the (laughs) big takeaway is that the Union and Confederacy combined for 22,000 dead, wounded, or missing. The battle wound up being a Union victory, but old dickless wonder George McClellan refused to press his advantage and pursue the retreating Confederates. Had he done so, the war might have ended right then and there. And actually, this is kind of an interesting point in history, a a turning point, if you will, because had the Union won right there at Antietam, it might have taken longer for slavery to actually be ended. Or, I don't know, I don't know what would happen, because at that point, the North was not pushing for the end of slavery in the South. They just wanted reunification. So if they defeat the Confederates there at Antietam, They might be able to bring him to the negotiating table, you know, do the peace talks and say, hey, just come back to America. You can keep what you have. 
and we'll stop the expansion of slavery, but you guys can keep slaves. Yeah, that's a really good point. And another point is, I feel like, that that involves the same thing, is that people really started to dig into their uh, their trenches, so to speak, about the issue of slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, slavery wasn't as wildly unpopular in the North as it was at the end of the Civil War. That became a huge emphasized point. And so I think the citizens of the North would have been a lot uh, more opposed to that in in years' time than they were right 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 at that point. Yeah. When they totally would have been like, oh, yeah, let's just get them to, to agree to this. Bygones be bygones sort of thing. We fucking but, won. Um, yeah. The, long, the longer it went on, the more the, the, the slavery thing did become this moral quandary, this moral issue, which ultimately was a good thing. Right, yeah. So, yeah, we may never know what would have happened if McClellan had been a good general and had pressed his advantage. We will he- never know. I can confidently say we will never know. Yeah, are you sure? Yeah. All right, well, I'll just destroy this time machine I'm building in here, asshole. Do- doesn't exist, can't exist. <laughs> But McClellan, he had screwed the pooch. So it was time for Lincoln to unveil something he had been working on since July. A time machine. And when he realized that shit wouldn't work. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going back in time. I'm telling George Washington this whole slavery thing's a bad idea. He gets back there and Washington's like, yeah, I fucking know. But man, I'm not doing anything about it. That make people not like me. And I just want to be loved. Or maybe he'd uh, successfully developed a time machine, Mm -hmm. and he was actually the ruler of the free world because he had pushed at Antietam. Oh. But it ended up being this thing where there there was this ultimate evil that colonized the rest of the known world across the Atlantic and Pacific, and they were coming. They were fucking barely human, and they were coming. (laughs) I'm a human, and I'm coming. (laughs) And they were going to end all good in the world. And the only way that we could turn back time is if General George B. McClellan, he goes back and he makes himself look fucking awful. Oh, man. To protract this war. He's the greatest general we've ever had. Jesus. Just saying. Please continue. (laughs) So anyways, Lincoln had been working on something since July. When he wrote that ending slavery had become a military necessity. Couldn't win the war without black soldiers, is what he had determined. So, on September 22nd, five days after Antietam, Lincoln unveiled the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, you're probably familiar with this executive order, but in short, it declared slavery in the South illegal and changed the focus of the war from reunification of the states to the abolition of slavery. Lincoln then said, Quote, Your motherfuckers have until January 1st to free all of your slaves and surrender. Otherwise, I'm going to break my foot off in your collective race's asshole. End quote. End quote. Love how he ended his own quote. Yeah, I mean, you gotta do that. That's how they... A lot of leaders doing that lately. Yeah, that's how you know they're done talking. It's smart. Unsurprisingly, the South did not give in to Lincoln's demands, and instead, Confederate President Jefferson Davis issued his own proclamation that any captured black Union soldiers would be treated as runaway slaves, and any white officers that commanded black soldiers 
would be summarily executed. On January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect. Within two weeks, a bill was introduced into the House of Representatives that called for the creation of 150 black regiments, or about 150,000 black soldiers, with three-year enlistment periods. The Northern Democrats were already pissed about the Emancipation Proclamation, as they believed black freedom prevented a negotiated peace with the South. They were super pissed about the idea of recruiting black soldiers, with one idiot editor from Detroit going as far to say that Congress intended to surround President Lincoln with a permanent palace guard of, quote, inward soldiers, end quote. They, they put the word in there with the R's. <laughs> Who would then assist him in, quote, stripping the states of all of their constitutional power, end quote. I wonder what it took to get canceled back then. <laughs> so much. Just fucking say whatever you want, man. You can say that. Yeah. Holy shit. It doesn't get better. Another argued that black men could never achieve officer rank, saying, quote, um, foghorn leghorn voice I do not expect to live to see the day when, in this Christian land, merit shall counterbalance the crime of color. The only place where they can find equality is the grave. End quote. I have to put a little voice on it so Wolf Dick doesn't punish me later. Especially since I'm made fun oh, of Oh, he will do that. <laughs> that dude loves to parse audio and then play it at inopportune times. What an asshole! <laughs> yeah, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> For the most part, racism dominated all public opinion on both sides of the war. Union and Confederate papers alike were full of editorials claiming that black men were too docile to fight and would turn and run at the first real sign of danger. And one guy was like, they have an extra muscle, let's them jump higher. I'm like, okay, well that's not relevant to the war. That seems like something you're going to bring up 100 years from now in regards to the NBA desegregating, but okay. Yeah, you're just being a racist piece of shit, aren't you? I knew it. Eventually a bill was passed that allowed for the creation of black regiments, but they had to be led by white men, and the soldiers would still get fucked over by being paid under the rules established by the Militia Act. Which again, if you don't remember from a few points ago, was $10 a month with an extra $3 a month uniform fee. So, 7 bucks a month. Before the bill was even passed, Governor John Andrew of Massachusetts had already contacted U.S. Secretary of War Edwin Stanton about raising a black regiment in his state. And this reminds me... We've talked about this before. What happened to America? Why did we gone so soft that we no longer have a U.S. Secretary of War? Yeah. Now it's a Secretary of Defense. Yeah. When was the last time we defended ourselves? Come on. <laughs> we Let's are, call this what it is. We are constantly at war. It's what we do well, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the thing we do well. We yeah. put so much money into that, guys. <laughs> Guys, we are so good at war that we give our surplus shit to other countries, and they kick ass at war. It's like, uh, we don't need this. It's just laying around. You can have it. Boom. Fuck you, Russia. You're not wrong. I never have been. Not even when you peed on that baby's head? <laughs> he knew what he got. He bought his ticket to the, the public pool. He knew what was happening. No, he didn't. 
<laughs> no, he had no idea. He was very confused. It's barely sentient. <laughs> yeah. He thought it was hilarious, actually. His mom, not so much. Oh, yeah. He was splish splash having a bath in that. Yeah. And she's screaming at me, and I'm like, what? Is this because I have hepatitis C? You're going to come eat me like this? You had so many nitrates in your system that it just naturally formed bubbles in the pool once it hit. <laughs> Baby was just <laughs> splashing around. Time of his life. Yeah. He's not traumatized. I don't know, the stupid fucking judge. If there are any lawyers listening, I would like to appeal my conviction. I don't think it was fair. Hit us up in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> Give you a free Patreon subscription. Just kidding. We can't do that. We like the power. We like the power, and we love the $3 a month. <laughs> I need it. Have you heard my story? I'm living in a fucking boarding home. I need the money. $3 gets you a lot of rice. <laughs> well, anyway, Governor Andrew was an abolitionist, and Massachusetts was one of the most liberal states when it came to the issue of slavery, so he was champing at the bit to be the first state to send free black men to fight for the Union. One of the most liberal states, huh? Mm-hmm. Where they cook their eggs Benedict on the sidewalk? <laughs> yeah. How do they even do it up there? Yes. And no gas stoves up there, motherfucker. Unbelievable. <laughs> their eggs Benedict. It's especially funny because Boston is just full of racists now. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Not fans of immigrants at all. No. They, Despite being a city full of Irish immigrants. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's like the Irish got there and said, fuck you, got mine. But uh, that's, that's another episode, I'm sure. It took a couple generations, but sure as shit, it happened. <laughs> anyway, Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, said, yeah, go ahead, raise your black regiments. But uh, Governor John Andrew, you have to pick a white dude to lead the regiment because of the uh, aforementioned, soon-to-be-signed bill. The man Andrew chose to lead his regiment was Robert Gould Shaw. Born in 1837 to super-rich, staunch abolitionists, Shaw had led a fairly cushy life involving traveling around the world and half-assing his way through school. He'd eventually go to Harvard, but would drop out after a couple of years because he was bored. When the war broke out in 1861, Shaw's wealth allowed him to be commissioned as a second lieutenant. He fought in several battles, including Antietam, where he suffered a minor wound and was promoted to captain. Not only was he a well-regarded officer, he was also more moderate in his politics than his super-lib parents, so Andrew regarded him as the perfect choice. He's like, Mom and Dad, I don't think you should go to that ping-pong pizza place anymore. You're like, no, we're super lips. This is how we stay young. Do you think this lack of wrinkling on our skin happens uh, because we don't drink adrenochrome? Are you, <laughs> are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> also, it's 1861. What the fuck is pizza? What are you talking about? <laughs> ping, pong. ping pong ding dong. <laughs> I love ping Not pong, here. man. Eat your raw eggs, Benedict. <laughs> We'd have voted for Obama a third term, you know? <laughs> oh, that was get out. You know, you it saw, was. Yeah. 
Governor Andrews sent a letter to Shaw and his father, who immediately hopped on a train to go and talk his son into signing on. Robert said, thanks, but, uh, no thanks, I don't want to lead that regiment. When his mom wrote him a letter saying that Robert leading black soldiers would have been, quote, the proudest moment of my life, and I could have died satisfied that I have not lived in vain, end quote, end quote. He changed his mind and agreed to lean the regiment. That old motherly guilt just got him to be like, okay, fine, mom. I'll go lean this regiment. I'll go help, you know, in slavery, I guess. Jesus, it'll get you off my back. No, we're not going to have any grandkids. Because, you know, I've met a man. His name is Frank. And. <laughs> We're going to open up a yarn shop in Vermont after this whole fucking war's over. End quote. Shaw was made a colonel and placed in the command of the newly created 54th Massachusetts Infantry. The recruits began to pour into Camp Meigs in Reedville, Maryland for training. Shaw was viewed as a strict but fair leader who imposed rigorous discipline equally on both black and white soldiers. As a result, there were very few reported incidents of drunkenness, and the camp jail was seldom occupied. Which just goes to show that I would not have been a good soldier back then, because I would have been fucking hammered all the time, just dick-wagon. Dick-wagon drunk is what I call it, you know? Yeah, dude, I was in there so much they called me Brigley Cooper. (laughs) Just stayed in that brig. And I look like Bradley Cooper when he was in that movie where he took those drugs to become smart. Mm -hmm. But I was him when he was like the struggling writer, had long, greasy hair. (laughs) Never never seen Limitless. Yet you knew the name of the movie I was talking about. (sighs) Well, I mean, you never fucking stop talking about it. Every day. (laughs) Hey, bro, you watch Limitless yet? And then I do the jazz hand things with over my face with my yeah. fingers and I'm like oh dude it's the math coming down the screen <laughs> and you're like okay I know it's from Limitless, Limitless. I've still not seen it computing and then I do drugs <laughs> and they make you so smart oh no they're it's not that kind of drugs <laughs> the only reason you agreed to do this podcast because you were high as a fucking kite <laughs> Well, eventually, the commandant of the camp had to tell Shaw to chill a little bit with his discipline. But Shaw knew that all eyes would be on his regiment and wanted them to be the most professional outfit in the army. Of course, we all know the most professional outfit in the army is the pantsuit. By May, the regiment was trained and ready for deployment. On the 28th, they marched through the streets of Boston to a mostly cheering crowd, and boarded a ship that took them on a five-day cruise through rough seas to the South Carolina port of Beaufort. Beaufort. I don't know. Beaufort, Beaufort. The goal for the Union was the capture of Charleston, which was well guarded by Confederate forts and defensive works built on the small sea islands that surrounded the harbor. After a failed attack in April, the North realized they were going to have to take all these islands before they even stood a chance at capturing the city of Charleston. And, for more on that, you can give us $3 a month, subscribe to the Patreon, and hear our amazing story on Robert Smalls, an escaped slave turned 
Union boat captain. In which Usually I- I'm on board with these advertisements, but I can't in good conscience advertise that episode because <laughs> you were a fucking drunk. I was so drunk. It was a nightmare. <laughs> you were uncomfortably drunk. <laughs> Second half of the show, Greg's just making his points, and I'm just slowly undressing across the table from him. <laughs> oh, hey, man. Do pants make you itchy? Pants make me itchy, Greg. <laughs> You've been working out. You look You look good. You've been... Like, I didn't think it was that weird, because it was kind of hot. We recorded that in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I thought it was weird, but I just didn't think it was that weird until you took off the pants and you had Spanx on underneath. <laughs> so, well. What's, what the fuck's going on here? I just wanted you to think I had a slim tummy, you know? Just <laughs> Dress to impress, that's what I always say. And then the next week, you came dressed in a dress. <laughs> I felt like you you were really putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. You never reciprocated. You never mentioned it back then, so I just kind of let it go, you know, dropped it. But uh, it's good. I'm getting the vibe again. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Let's do Let's a live show. In. Nope, nope, nope. Well, while the Union was building up their forces and playing their assault of Charleston they decided to launch an attack on the coast of Georgia. The main force leading this attack would be another black regiment, the 2nd South Carolina, led by Colonel James Montgomery. Robert Shaw knew the journey by boat to Georgia would suck balls, and that there wouldn't be a ton of fighting, but he wanted his troops in the 54th to get their first taste of the war, and he volunteered to join the attack. On June 11th, the 2nd South Carolina and the 54th Massachusetts launched an inland raid from the coastal island of St. Simons towards the town of Darien, Georgia. The town was supposed to be heavily occupied, but by the time the Union soldiers arrived, it had been abandoned by all but 20 civilians. The soldiers went to work confiscating goods for the war effort, but Colonel Montgomery had other plans. They all worked for Amazon. Yeah? All 20 of them? (laughs) Yep. <laughs> you notice how many fucking people work for Amazon? Oh, oh shit. Yeah. Goddamn everywhere. Like, please release us from this bondage. Jeff Bezos won't let us pee. I'm wearing a diaper. It's so soiled right now. <laughs> Montgomery's like, no, speaking of bondage, do you have my two day delivery ball gag that I ordered? That's my glass bedazzled butt plug. No? <laughs> All right. Well,. You asked for it. Chris, go. (laughs) Well, after the town and the Amazon warehouse was cleared of all usable goods, Montgomery turned to Shaw and said with a sweet smile, I shall burn this town. Shaw was horrified, and he said he wouldn't do it, but Montgomery said he'd do it himself because he felt that white Southerners, quote, must be made to feel that this was a real war. They are to be swept away by the hand of God, like the Jews of old, end quote. So not only were they all racist, they are also anti-Semitic. Simpler times, am I right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying hate, I'm just saying heritage. 
where we hate everyone. That's my heritage. <laughs> this is good for white men. <laughs> you seen this shit where we're, they, they took the white boots off the green M&M? You seen that, fucking liberals? <laughs> That's the aphrodisiac M&M. You know, you feed those to your girl and she wants to, she wants to go to town, but now she ain't wearing boots. I can't sexualize the M&M. I can't picture her boots in the air. As I'm just plowing into her chocolatey center. <laughs> Is this what Biden wants for America? <laughs> plowing into her chocolatey center. <laughs> oh. Well, I used my male prowess and my red pill abilities to really wear down that candy shell. <laughs> and boy, she gave it up. Just negged her a few times, you know, said some kind of mean-spirited things, but and then she'd want to fight for my affection. Next thing you know, dick's covered in chocolate. <laughs> you know how they say M&M's melt in your mouth, not in your hand? Well, I wouldn't go down on her for that. I'll go to find that shit out. No, I'm a man. <laughs> a pee comes out of that thing, okay? Yeah, it's disgusting. I just threw that bitch on top of my gas stove and went to town giving her the hammer. <laughs> He's so misogynistic with his language, too. <laughs> Steve's a real piece of shit. You Steve know, I'm starting is. To, starting to realize that. Oh. After Colonel Montgomery issued his anti-Semitic remarks, the town of Damien was set ablaze, and Shaw was left to wonder what it would do to the reputation of his regiment and the overall opinion of black soldiers. Predictably, the racists in the South and North said it was, quote, dirty work, end quote, and, quote, unwanted vandalism, end quote. While the abolitionists pretty much said, fake quote, sucks to suck, maybe don't find a war to own humans next time, bitches, end fake quote. It was around this same time that Colonel Shaw found out that his men were only going to be paid $7 a month which was basically half of what was being paid to white soldiers of the same rank. In a letter to Governor Andrew, Shaw said, Fuck that noise. Pay my men or pay nobody. Every man, black and white, in the 54th felt the same way and refused to be paid until the pay was made equal. Hell yeah. Andrew went to work hassling the federal government for equal pay, but for the time being, the army just held on to the men's pay vouchers and kept paying them the lower rate. The 54th returned to the Sea Islands around Charleston, trained, and did menial camp work. Meanwhile, victories in Gettysburg and Vicksburg led the Union to believe it was high time to launch another attack on South Carolina, also known as the worst state in America. Everyone knew that it was going to be a brutal fight, but Robert Shaw and the 54th were itching to prove that black men were more than willing to fight to end slavery in America. They'd soon have their chance to do just that. And that's, uh, that's a good place to take a break before they get into the real nitty-gritty. Real fights. Take on the South. And, uh, we don't know. Maybe win the war. We don't know how this ends. There's no way to know. They, no one could know unless they went ahead and read the book during the break. But they won't do that. There's only 10 seconds. They're not going to do that. (laughs) Okay, good. Don't give them time. 
All right, we are back from break. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you had a good one. You know, a lot of times we come back from break and uh, people are like, hey, how was your break? And I'm like, well, you know, living the dream. <laughs> uh, that means I'm dead inside when I say that, by the way. If you see me walking through the halls of the HPH offices and I say that to you, Greg, it means I am one step away from just jumping out of the second floor of the studio. HPH offices. <laughs> All right. It's a real thing. It it's exists. Being generous. Yeah, we got management. We got whole marketing department. We have site A and site B. Yes. We are well prepared. We are a multi-city establishment. I don't know how to, to say that. No, that's very true. Yeah. We have Sally from HR. Mm-hmm. I grab her ass every day <laughs> on the elevator. What could go wrong? Who are you going to tell, Sally? <laughs> <laughs> There's no HR for HR, is there? Man, I never thought of that. <laughs> that's uh, that's the golden ticket right there. Like, all I have to do to not get told on is just, you know, start a very successful business to where I have an HR department. Mm-hmm. And I can weather... You know, maybe a lawsuit, but I'm not going to have an HR person HRing me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> While I'm SHing them. <laughs> Golden ticket. Become so big and popular that they can't stop you. So rich and famous. Just oh, man. lock them in your dressing room and jerk off in front of them, and they can't do shit about it. You come back and you win like an Emmy. That's a Louis C.K. joke. They were there willingly, okay? I will stand for Lucy K, dude. <laughs> Fucking bullshit. Who wouldn't want to see that beautiful man jerking off? Just all red and sweaty. Oh, you know that dick's red. <laughs> oh, yeah. He probably has one of those weird dicks that's a different color from his body. But you you know, like, he's got just a thatch of pubes, too. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Just a nice mix of red and gray hairs. Because, he, you know, he's getting oh, up there in God. years. Oh, God. Can we can we drink that away? Uh, no, I don't want to. I want to save that for the spank bank, but you can do what you want to do. And the listener can join you in drinking away that beautiful image. I don't know why you would want to do that, but they can do it with our second half seltzers. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. And three, two, one, pop goes Louis C.K. right into his hand. Oh, God. (sighs) All right. Well, we are lubricated just like Louis C.K.'s. You know what? That's enough. I'm I'm tired of supporting this bit. Let's just go on and uh, let's start the second half of the show. So, Greg, are you ready to take us home? Tonight? The Outfield. Oh, yeah. Is that who said it? took me a while. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Took me a second. I had to to turn the old cogs in the brain to think of that one. (laughs) And I'm probably still wrong, (laughs) which would be embarrassing, but I think that's the Outfield. They're all 12. They don't know. Just tell them it is, and look it up on LimeWire later, and find out it's by Led Zeppelin. (laughs) All right, I guess I'll start this fucking 
second half of the podcast and I hate. Second half of the podcast and I hate. <laughs> second half of the podcast and I hate! Yeah! <laughs> In early July of 1863, the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment was stationed on tiny Folly Island near Charleston, South Carolina. The Confederates set in strong defensive positions on nearby Morris Island and Fort Moultrie, which protected Fort Sumter, which protected the entrance to Charleston Harbor. If the Union wanted to capture the heart of slavery, they are going to have to work their way through all of those staunch defensive positions. And a little bonus history for you, Greg. Uh, oh, Folly Island was named for an old English word, which meant an extraordinary amount of foliage was on the island. Um, and a bunch of pirates stopped there, including Blackbeard, who we've done a show on. And Morris Island was named after Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. Because when they arrived, it was full of blonde-haired white kids who were entitled, kind of douchey and misogynistic, and you kind of felt like that freeze-time power they had, they used to roofie you. You left out one important adjective. What's that? Sexy, dude. So sexy. <laughs> Are you kidding me? His hair is so quaffed. You left out one adjective and a few nouns. Pecs, tan. <laughs> I mean, I, the list goes on and on. Uh, I mean, I'm not into that sort of thing. I'm just, right. I know how to describe Zach Morris. And yes. you, you did not do a good job of I'm doing sorry. That. I'm sorry. Yes, it's okay. Are, are so sexy. <laughs> I'd be here screech any day. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Kelly. Dustin it's Diamond, Kelly. rest in peace. No. Fuck that guy. We've, we've, we've shit on him before, and I will shit on him again. Because Dustin Diamond rate me. In case you don't remember whatever episode sure that was God. from. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the gears were turning again, man. Like, yeah. I, was just like oh, I do remember discussing him once in my youth. <laughs> yeah. Like some fucking old timer <laughs> recollecting shit. It, it's it's been a, like a year. Yeah, but I've pickled my brain so much that it's like a a fucking eighty five year old <laughs> re- recalling when they were nine. You know, <laughs> it's like an indie movie about Alzheimer's. It's just flashes of shit. <laughs> we used to play stick and hoop. Yeah, you know, like goddamn it, it was a year ago. Well, your son's. Bathing you in the bathroom, and you're just like, Dustin Diamond raped me! Like, okay, well... (laughs) All right, Dad, don't get worked up. I got a squatty potty to help me... Help me have my bowel movements better. (laughs) I've got to sit on, like, a stool... When I'm when I'm getting showered at the old folks' home, <laughs> you're uh, Dustin Diamond raped me. Was I remember clear as day? It was when the Chinese balloons, the spy balloons, were coming over the U.S. <laughs> Sir, why do you sound like Colonel Sanders? I don't sound like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Sir, you're 28 years old. You're not even allowed to be here. <laughs> Fuck you, 12 year old. Yes, I am. <laughs> Because both the listeners and the people that work at the old the, folks home the nurse are 12. Yeah, well, well. And Doogie Hauser, but before he was a doctor. <laughs> oh, he's working his way up. Okay. Yeah, he was an RN or an LVN. <laughs> the lesser, and let's be honest. Anywho, the commander of the Union's Department of the South was General Quincy Adams Gilmore. His first plan called for cannons to bombard Morris Island's main defensive redoubt 
known as Battery Wagner, while 4,000 men, including the 54th Massachusetts, attacked north onto James Island in the hopes that the Confederates would pull troops away from Morris Island, thusly leaving it vulnerable. And, little known fact, James Island is named after James Vanderbeek. And there was a tiny little crick that ran across James Island, and that was Dawson's Creek. And that's where all of that came from. Another blonde-haired, beautiful man. Gigantic head. Oh, so big. He's a bobblehead. He was the original bobblehead. Oh, oh, you meant like his actual head. Okay. I'm just saying, I have some photos of you my love hard drive. this podcast. I, I just know that alcohol lowers your inhibitions, and sometimes my true self comes out. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, dude. I love getting a podcast. I'm just saying you <laughs> like to. You like to. Uh, yeah, Bobble actually modeled James Vanderbeek's head, and that's, <laughs> that's, how, they that's how he created his Bobble head. <laughs> yeah, history podcast. Yeah. On July 11th, the attack was launched and was an initial success. The 54th advanced across James Island with little to no resistance. In fact, the only casualty they suffered was when a private accidentally shot and killed himself while cleaning his pistol. (coughs) Hilarious. (laughs) Meanwhile, on Morris Island, Union troops made some progress, but Battery Wagner proved nearly impossible to capture and the northern advance had to stop short. The stalled Union attack allowed the Confederates to focus their attention on the troops advancing on James Island. The Confederates were like, I don't want to wait for your advance to get longer. I want to stop it now. I'll beat your ass. Ding. (laughs) That's right. Fucking old, old what's-her-name, dude? Oh, Katie Holmes. Oh, there you go. Pre-brainwashed into Scientology and then brainwashed out of Scientology, Katie Holmes? Ooh, I'll take either. <laughs> well, you know, with Katie brainwashing into Scientology, you get Tom as part of the package, so... Yeah, dude. Yeah, that middle tooth. I want middle tooth, dude. <laughs> Me and middle tooth. Mm-hmm. Just go into like a bistro? Yeah. Platonically. At mm-hmm. first. At first, yeah. You know. Mm. And he just, <laughs> at some point in the dinner, puts his hand on your hand and he leans in. Oh, dude, stop. Right next to your ear. Stop, dude, I'm podcasting. And he's like, you know what? I do all my own stunts in the bedroom, too. Oh, God damn it. Why'd you do this? <laughs> I'm the rock of Gibraltar over here <laughs> podcasting, Chris. It's a good thing we're going to take another hour and a half to finish this episode, because you're going to have to stand up at some point. All right, I need a break. All right, welcome back. I feel like a new man. <laughs> Slightly ashamed of yourself. You know what on that one? No. Nah. Okay. <laughs> nah. On July 15th, in a pouring rain, the 54th encountered Confederate infantry and spread out in a picket line 
with the white soldiers of the 10th Connecticut guarding their rear flank. On the front line, the 54th spotted the movements of the Confederates and warned the 10th Connecticut that the Southerners were attempting to flank around them. And, you know, of course, despite these warnings, the 10th Connecticut was caught with their fucking pants down as the Confederates attacked them from the rear while simultaneously launching an attack on the 54th from the front. As the 10th panicked and fled, the 54th fell back in an orderly fashion and slowed the Confederate advance. This allowed the Union to regroup with the white soldiers from the 10th and the black from the 54th, all fighting in one formation. Eventually, Union gunboats pulled up along the coast of James Island and began pounding the Confederates and forced them to retreat. During what would become known as the Battle of Grimble's Landing, the 54th suffered 14 killed, 20 wounded, and 13 missing. Some who surrendered were later found tied up and shot, having been summarily executed by the Southerners. The Confederates would claim they only suffered 15 casualties, but everybody thought that was a load of shit, especially since they were seen carrying cartloads of dead off of the battlefield. You know what? That's just another uh, Yankee lie. This is what I read in my in my books here in Montana, the the public library, which I don't support. By the way, they they shouldn't have that because they have all those books about you know the homosexuals and um, people of another. Uh... Well, I don't know how to put this delicately, but <laughs> is that is that you, Chris, or no? It's me, Steve. It's oh. Steve, your Confederate neighbor with it's the truck. Steve. The truck nuts, you know. And I, I was just thinking, you know, they're, they're always talking lies about my people, and it's not fair. And the, They didn't win that battle. There weren't that many Confederate dead. The North invaded the South. It was a war of Northern aggression, even though we attacked Fort Sumter first. Well, key word, <laughs> Northern Second key word, aggression. <laughs> That's right. That's right, <laughs> goddammit. I'm getting all worked up. Uh, okay. You know, it's, it's just bullshit. And they keep saying that we lost that war. We were always going to lose that war. It's called the lost cause. We were fighting for our homes and our freedom. And we knew we were outnumbered. And, uh... We were never going to win. We never had any intentions of winning. You know, we just kind of wanted to, you know, make a point. Well, Steve, um, that is, I, I know that you are a, a very real character on this show. That's me. 100% real. I want to make the point that I fucking hate that argument of the revisionist history of people, like, fighting for their homes and all this shit. Like, no, we're... We we don't care about slavery. We're just we're defending our our farm with <clears throat> all the black slaves on it. Hey, listen, listen, feller. Sixty percent of Confederate soldiers did not have slaves, so that makes a lot of sense why we would fight to keep it for the rich guys. Oh, shit. yeah, I, I hear you, Steve, and um, not to compare the two. But maybe to draw a little bit of similarity, you know, I went to uh, I went to Iraq, I went to Afghanistan. Thank I you for service. Wars. I'll support troops. You've caught me in quite the conundrum. I don't, I, I don't <laughs> want to thank Steve. 
Um, I I went to wars that I later, uh, you know, didn't agree with, and uh, man, I, I I just can't see it, Steve. I just can't see it. Well, you know what? You 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 went and did something, and you grew as a person. You changed your point of view. You thought maybe. Maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe I was wrong to support that. And that's how I know you're a fucking libtard. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> All right. Dismissed. I'll be back later. I'll see you. I'll see you guys in a little bit. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait, Steve. Jesus. Well, Steve aside, the battle was a victory, but General Gilmore knew that holding James Island would prove difficult, so he ordered the Union troops to return to Folly Island and prepare for an assault on Morris Island and Battery Wagner. The men marched throughout the night of July 17th and arrived in camp exhausted as fuck in the early hours of the 18th. Colonel Robert Shaw then confided in his friend, Colonel Ned Hollowell, that he was sure he would die in the next battle. Hollowell tried to reassure his friend but one look at their next target, Battery Wagner, might have made that a difficult task. This thing was fucking fortified. Battery Wagner sat at the northern end of Morris Island, where the beach narrowed. It was called a battery because it only had three walls, which is one short of the number necessary for a designation as a fort. You know, like a, a square or a rectangle. But it was still... Formidable. <laughs> mm. It stretched completely across the island and had a front wall that was 30 feet high made from sand and logs. At the top were sharpened stakes and at the bottom was a canal designed to flood at high tide. Inside Battery Wagner were 14 cannons, 1,700 Confederate troops, and bunkers stacked with 12 feet of sandbags that protected them from artillery attacks. General Gilmore's plan was to pound the battery with artillery from the sea and from Folly Island, and then, once they had blown it all to hell, infantry would launch a frontal attack and stroll right on in and capture the battery. Easy peasy. Fuck you, Robert E. Leasy. Of course, if he was smart and listened to this podcast's many episodes on World War I, he would have known how shitty his plan was. <laughs> but he's not smart like you are, listener. No, no, sir, or ma'am. <laughs> no, man, he's a fucking idiot, and you should subscribe to the podcast right now so you can learn these facts, so you can win wars 60 years before they happen. Also, you know, it's kind of like the uh, Civil War was kind of like a testing ground for these World War One tactics. Not only here... Other places, Vicksburg, where Grant put the city under siege. We talked about that in our Grant episodes. Kind of like the artillery just pounding, 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 and then infantry rushes in and gets fucked up because they didn't realize that these guys are like, hey, they're going to hit us with artillery. Let's just hide in a bunker, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Let's do something, you know? And, and to me, I don't, I don't know if you agree with this, Chris. It's weird. Like, there is a divide of when World War I started— Mm-hmm. And all the wars since they seem to flow in this progression, and then just as an American at least, and then you have the Civil War, which almost seems to be like in antiquity. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it, yeah it's it. just so different. There is a lot of still. It's it's kind of like a middle ground. It's the middle child of wars. You know, the weird one we we kind of like push aside. Well, and, yeah, you know. I mean, if you want to go even further back, it's one hundred percent the middle ground between modern warfare and it. Well. We'll just say, what, like feudalism and stuff, like that yeah. kind of warfare. It was the renaissance, per, forgive the pun, of gunpowder, but I just really feel like in American warfare, you get to the 19-teens. Yeah. That's very similar to modern stuff compared to what was I get that, it. yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's kind of the middle. <clears throat> you, you still get the guys who say, we got to line up. We got to shoot at each other, and then we'll reload while the guys behind us shoot at you. You get that a lot in the Civil War, but you also get, you know, you get bunkers, you get artillery, you get trenches, you get uh, foxholes, you know. Uh, A lot of people made fun of General Lee for having his troops dig into foxholes in Fredericksburg. And then you'll see in this story, we have trenches and stuff. And it's kind of like this crossover point between an old form of maybe gentlemanly warfare and new modern kill the shit out of everybody warfare. Ooh, I I hate that gentlemanly warfare. I fucking hate that. (laughs) People were still trying to kill each other. Right. They just kind of abided by certain understood rules. Right. That was it. Like it wasn't cool. It it was still, I will murder the fuck out of you. Right. And it was kind of shit on during the revolutionary war in America to use guerrilla warfare tactics, to use flanking tactics, instead of just, we're going to meet in a fucking field and see who wins today, boys. You know, so it, it was that old school idea of you have to fight war a specific noble way, and that kind of went away during the Civil War. Do you ever think of yourself, like, in these wars, you imagine yourself in these wars and what you do? Just a yes or no. Yes, I do. Do you ever... Imagine, like, it's you and you kill a guy or whatever, and you're in a foxhole, or you're, it's World War II, you're in an abandoned French farmhouse. You kill a guy, is the point. Yeah. Do you look at his dick? (laughs) You got it. Dude. I mean, like. You got to look at the dick. All is quiet in the West. Just compare, not, like, sexually, but, like, oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, all's quieter on the Western Front, like when he kills that guy in the foxhole and he's... That's exactly what I was thinking of <laughs> yeah. when I was talking about foxholes, was that yeah. one, shoving mud in his mouth. He should yeah. have been unzipping them fucking pants, too. <laughs> you gotta look. See, let's see it's that hog. not only a man-to-man thing, it's a culture-to-culture thing, it's a country-to-country thing. Like, I'd be like, what's a German dick look like? Oh, <laughs> it's uncircumcised, dude. Yeah. It's all natural. Yeah. Yeah, he's got that extra, extra wrap around it, you know? Mm. A little bit of cold cuts. Back to the show. <laughs> well, on the 18th of July, General Gilmore called Robert Shaw into his tent and said, quote, Listen, I know you dudes just fought a battle and just marched all night and haven't eaten or slept in like um, three days. And feel free to say no, but... How would you like for the 54th to lead the attack on Battery Wagner in, I don't know, like, three or so hours from now? (laughs) End quote. 
We'll never know what his face looked like in that moment, or the tone of the voice he used. But Colonel Shaw agreed, and said his men were up to the task. Yeah. They looked at him, he's like, oh yeah, that's a great idea, General. That's not stupid at all. I love it. And they all and laughed. Like, all right, it's settled. They, they all <laughs> laughed really hard for like five minutes, and then the General's like, you know, what were we even talking about? Uh, hey, court reporter, read that back to me. And there's just a lady tapping away, and she's like, it's a stenographer, Chris. Oh, sorry. And she was like, oh. That sounds like a great idea. That doesn't sound stupid at all. Let's do that. He's like, oh, okay, well, you fucking agreed to it. <laughs> <laughs> that evening, Shaw and Hollowell ate a hastily prepared dinner, served by none other than Harriet Tubman herself. And uh, after that, well, they gathered the men in formation. Shaw declared he would move with the front of the regiment and the American flag and instructed Hollowell to stay toward the rear with the state flag. General George Crockett Strong then addressed the men and told them that the battery had been blown to shit by Union artillery and there were only 300 Confederates left there and they were tired of fighting all day. Strong ordered them not to fire their guns as they charged but to instead rely on their bayonets. He then pointed at the flag bearer and asked who would carry the flag if that man fell. Colonel Shaw pulled his cigar out of his mouth and said, I will. End quote. That was an airtight cigar. Jesus. He was sucking on it. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> sucking on so it. So fucking nervous. It's just like a pacifier. Mm -hmm. Well, they just called it a cigar. They hadn't seen the modern dildo. <laughs> It had he veins had, on he, it. He, he had a little thing coming out of it that was plugging one nostril. Yeah. You know, it was like the clit tickler, Chris. Uh, oh. Uh, okay. I don't allow my wife to buy those because it doesn't work because there's nothing there. It's like, what do you need a tickle? The top of your pubis region? I don't understand. So, faithful listener that just... I don't know why you do it, but you stick by us through all of this bullshit. <laughs> You're still here. You're still listening to this story. You can go on YouTube. You get a five-minute synopsis of this story. It's going to be told Stop. better Stop. than we can tell it. <laughs> but you are still here. So, again, <laughs> Colonel Shaw, you know, when he plopped that dildo cigar out of his fucking... Mm, juicy lips. <laughs> Covered in Burt's Bees, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, after he did that, the men all gave a cheer. Which was weird for the time, you know, because they're very homophobic back then. But they all gave a cheer <laughs> and began to march towards the battery, unaware that General Strong had been off in his count of, you know, when he said there was only 300 Confederates left. Yeah, you know, he was close. But he was off by, like, let's see, 1,400 soldiers. So, like, almost exactly what was there at the beginning. Ridiculous. The 54th Massachusetts led the way across the beach. As they made the 1,300-yard approach to the battery, 
The shore narrowed so much that they were packed together and some men had to march in knee-high seawater. Shaw led the way with the flag-bearer and was 200 yards away from the battery when the Confederates opened fire. The 54th charged towards the battery, which one soldier said, quote, "...became a mound of fire from which poured a stream of shot and shell." End quote. Also called my wife's vagina, right? <laughs> God. It's disgusting if you put too much assignment on each of those. Yeah, you words. think about it too much, yeah. <laughs> the first men who made it... <laughs> the, <laughs> the first men who made it to the spike top of the sandy wall engaged in hand-to-hand combat that the day's bombardment of Wagner had done nothing. Confederate soldiers were streaming out of their relatively undamaged bomb-proof bunkers. The color-bearer of the regimental flag went down. And just for listeners of the show, anytime we throw around like color-bearers, flag-bearers, anything like that, uh, it's kind of a big deal. Or it was then. It's especially, you know, when you go back to like feudal times— before this time, this was kind of the last time this was relevant. But um, you would have these flag bearers that would hold up the flag, and they would definitely be like in the in the king's vanguard in feudal times. And when you saw that fall, as your side or the other side, you'd be like, "Oh fuck, the king's dead." Yeah, we won or we lost, whatever it is. And it was a holdover at this time after gunpowder where that still existed because guns were still kind of, you know. Yeah. It took a while. It took a while. They weren't like super, super awesome. But you still had flag bearers that would show like, oh, you'd look back, you'd glance back on the battlefield. Be like, oh, we're still fucking, we're rocking. Yeah. You know, we're still going. Real talk, when the flag fell during the Civil War... Um, someone is expected to pick it up to let them know that the battle's still going. Yeah. Not real talk. When the bearer went down, it, it had to be picked up, but it had to be picked up by some dude who was shirtless and very hairy. Because you couldn't have a flag twink. You had to have a flag bearer. Twinker. Yeah. yeah. That's, is that what you're getting at? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. It was a bearer. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Ned Hollowell reached the top of the wall, where he was shot in the groin and had to crawl back to safety. To his right, Colonel Robert Shaw was one of the first to climb the wall with members of the 54th beside him. Holding a flag in one hand and sword in the other, Shaw shouted, Forward, my brave boss! He was then shot six times in the chest and fell back to the base of the wall. Ooh. <laughs> Men rushed to carry him off, but one by one, they too were shot and killed. By the battle's end, 20 men would die next to Shaw, with two of them lying directly on top of him. And this just goes to show how beloved he was, because he treated them fairly. He treated them like equals. White and black soldiers alike, Shaw treated the soldiers the same, expected the same discipline, the same sort of regimen from them and these guys all of them to a man loved him and that's as kind of you know it's beautiful for this time in history 
where we have so much division, where these black men are willing to lay their lives down to just recover his body and drag him back to safety. Yeah, great point. I mean, even though it got a few more people killed. Yeah, maybe I not know. Necessarily it, it, great for the battle. Yeah, it was. It, no, it, I'm not. I'm not trying to discount what you're <laughs> saying. Obviously, it's it is it, it's sweet. I want to give it a kiss. <laughs> the <laughs> the fifty fourth gained a foothold at the southeast corner of the battery, and they held it for an hour. They were hopelessly outnumbered, and a retreat was ordered. Seeing the flag about to fall once more, Sergeant William Carney grabbed it and planted it on the top of the wall where he was shot in the arm and in the fucking leg. He then took the flag and began his retreat. A third shot hit him in the goddamn fucking cuss word chest. (laughs) A fourth cracked his left hip. He fell to the ground and began to crawl and was sprayed in the back. And the head by grape shot. He made it all the way back to the rear line where he presented the flag to a lieutenant. Black and white soldiers alike cheered him as he said, quote, Boys, I did my duty. The dear old flag never touched the ground. End of quote. He would survive his wounds. And the war. Maybe it's because I'm drunk, but I got chills while you're doing that. Legit chills. Goosebumps and everything. I think that's the HIV. American her- hero. Um, I'm taking all the meds. Coupons. Stopped <laughs> working a couple of months ago. and Well, I don't want to put your business out there. <clears throat> I'm going to sue someone like Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. I just got to find out who to sue. Well, maybe you could sue Joseph R. Biden. Oh, goddammit, Stephen. Because he's the one that said it's okay for you to have sex with me. He said, that's okay. He's like, hey, you just go have whatever sex you want. Okay, good, Stephen. Order your goddamn prescriptions off the, God- the Amazon. They're being delivered by these goddamn black <laughs> Chinese balloons. Steve, why did you... Emphasize black like that. No, come on. Everybody trying to make everything about color. Get the fuck out of here, all right? I got a black friend. All right, Steve. You got a little racist there, so (laughs) we're going to press on. But anyway, the 54th had gone into battle with 650 men. 272 of them wound up being casualties. As a whole, the Union suffered 1,500 casualties in their attempt to take Battery Wagner on July 18th. Colonel Robert Shaw and the black men he had commanded were stripped of their possessions and buried together in a ditch. While the battle had been an abject failure, the bravery shown by the 54th Massachusetts, it, uh and changed countless minds about the fighting capabilities and spirits of the black soldiers. Abraham Lincoln immediately announced plans to enlist 100,000 black men into the Union Army, and General 
I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Stop me if you've heard this, Chris. Ulysses S. Grant said that the use of black troops would be the, quote, heaviest blow yet given to the Confederacy. Eventually, there would be 175 black regiments, accounting for one-tenth of the entire Union Army. Ned Hallowell recovered from his wounds and was made colonel over one of these regiments, which was the 55th Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, they'd begun training and drilling shortly after the 54th and had arrived in South Carolina just after the battle at Battery Wagner. Whereas the 54th had been made up of mostly freemen from the north, roughly one quarter of the 55th had been born into slavery. Their first action was to move artillery pieces onto Morris Island that allowed them to bombard Charleston itself. They then dug a series of zigzagging trenches that allowed them to get within 100 yards of the walls of Battery Wagner. The battery was placed under siege. By me, Ghost Steven Seagal, chef for the Union, riding that train. And I was like, oh no, these bad guys are on the train. I'm do some slow motion karate moves. I'm going to take them out. And I'm going to go to Qdoba, get a bowl. Sir, do you want the chips in the bowl or or outside for later? Mm, both. Let me call my buddy, Vladimir Putin, see what he wants. Oh, he wants to overthrow Western democracy. Whatever option that lines up with. <laughs> I know y'all do free queso. I know y'all do uh, free guac. But do you do free overthrow of Western democracy? (laughs) (laughs) I'm Steven Seagal. Get a guy's karate chop. Very slow. Do you do freeing Ukraine from all the Nazis that exist in Ukraine? This is what I saw on the RT network. This is my Steven Seagal voice. It's very natural. It's how I talk. I have a glandular disorder. It's why I'm this big and do martial arts. Don't question it. Thank you. Also, are you driving by a Qdoba on the way to this interview? This is why all of my movies from 2012 on feature me sitting down for 90% of the movie. This and Qdoba. Speaking of Qdoba... Do you live by a Qdoba? Do you want to be friends? Oh, hell yeah, Steven Seagal. We have a lot of political agreements. God damn it, Steven. Oh, fucking Steve, dude. Steve and Steve. <laughs> it just writes itself, you know? Yep. Oh. Now. I see why Chris... You you started. I participated mm-hmm. in the uh, the under siege bit, the Steven Seagal bit. Hundred percent real, real ghost uh-huh. of Steve Seagal. Right, right. I was here. I I see now in the text. The battery was placed under siege on September seventh, 
1863, at around 1 a.m., the Confederates snuck out of Battery Wagner. The following morning, soldiers from the 54th and 55th Massachusetts were the first to enter the battery and claim it for the Union. Despite their heroism, the black men in the Massachusetts regiment were still treated like second-class citizens. The newest commander of the Department of the South constantly ordered them, and not the white regiments, to do manual labor and clean the camp. On top of that, they still had not been paid after refusing to accept unequal pay. Governor John Andrew passed a bill saying that Massachusetts would cover the pay difference, but the men still refused. In their eyes, they were fighting for the United States and demanded that the U.S. government treat them equally. Yeah, and that's a very important distinction. They didn't want to be known as fighting for money, but they wanted to be treated fairly. And there were a couple of times where this would come up where they were like, hey, we'll, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll pay you the extra. It's like, no, no, it's not about the money. It's about we are both federal soldiers. We need to be treated like federal soldiers. In early 1864, the 54th and 55th were deployed to Jacksonville, Florida with the goal of clearing the southern flank for a land-based attack on Charleston. On February 17th, they were ordered to attack another strongly defended position near a railway station at Alusti. The 54th and 55th were in the rear of the attack when they saw the troops ahead of them streaming back in full panic. They screamed things like, We're badly whipped! And, You'll all get killed! (laughs) They had googly eyes and lipstick on their hands, but uh-huh. uh, him bone them be damned. Seeing this, Ned Hollowell drew his sword and ordered the 54th to charge into battle. As they did, they shouted their new cry, three cheers for Massachusetts and seven dollars a month. End quote. Got a little sarcastic irony. Fuck you guys, we're, we haven't taken a paycheck yet. we going to die for $7 a month. Oh, yeah. At least you, Abraham Lincoln. See what's happening down here in Florida? God's penis? The battle, which would be the biggest one in Florida throughout the war, lasted for two hours. It ended in a Union retreat, but the 54th held the line and poured fire into the Confederates, allowing the other Union regiments to fall back. Even when they were ordered to retreat by Colonel James Montgomery, the Massachusetts men refused to quit the fight. Ned Hollowell had to tell them three times to leave the battlefield, but eventually they did and served as a rear guard, protecting the Union as they retreated back to Jacksonville. Finally, in July of that year, a law was passed that awarded full back pay to any black soldiers who had been free as of April 19th, Day before Hitler's birthday, 1861. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just said, sorry, listener. Chris is <laughs> Given what you call a super fan. <laughs> Since many of the members of the 54th and the 55th were escaped slaves, Ned Hollowell ordered his men to simply lie about their background so they'd be paid in full. 
The perfect crime. Pretty fucking genius. Dude, fuck those corpos. You they know called it the, the Quaker Oath, because Ned Hollowell was a Pennsylvania Quaker. We haven't mentioned that, but he was. And they're like, hey, they don't fucking know. They'll never know. There's no record of you. Just fucking lie to them. Just make something up. They don't fucking know. Listen, this is Fire Island. You just take off the wedding ring. You do some <laughs> E. And no one knows. You've always been this way. Your wife doesn't know. This hairless Filipino boy, he has no fucking clue what's about to happen to him. Ricardo is a fuck puppet. <laughs> I hate to tell you that. <laughs> but you need to know the reality at Fire Island. <laughs> the battle... In Alusti would be the last big action seen by the 54th and the 55th. For the following year and a half, their main purpose would be moving through the South to sever railway lines. Joining them would be the 5th Massachusetts, which was the first black cavalry unit in the Union Army. As they moved north, the Confederates largely abandoned their positions as they needed more and more soldiers to fight the armies of Ulysses S. Grant. As they marched, they freed every slave they came across, much to the chagrin of the wealthy white slave owners they left behind. They also helped themselves to the alcohol supplies that the slave owners had hidden away, and then, acting under orders from General William Tecumseh, quote-unquote myself, Crazy motherfucker. <laughs> Sherman, they burned down every mansion and estate that they found. Unlike in Darien, Georgia, this time it was cool, you know, because everybody was doing it. Super popular thing to do, man. Yeah. Uh, we do Sherman episodes. We're all popping cherries, dude. What are you talking so about? we can have that uh, argument. He was fucking crazy, but he's kind of a badass. Oh, dude. Supreme badass. Okay. Supreme crazy person. Yeah. I would love to have sex with him, you know? Mm. You know, you just have sex with the crazy and then you leave it. You you don't do it. Like, you don't make a relationship out of it, but still. Well, that's the... uh, We'll argue over that. In the Sherman episode, okay. He's not hot, dude. (laughs) General, a little more plump. (laughs) You like the thick generals. I like a fucking thick two C's general. All right. <laughs> in February, in February of 1864, the 54th and 55th, and several other black regiments, they were the first uh, soldiers to enter and capture the city of Charleston, piece of shit, South Carolina. Two months later. The war was over, and the men returned to their lives. Slavery was over, but racism was still very much alive and well. To this day, idiots argue about race and what the Civil War was really all about. States' rights, am I? Let me hear you in the comments, fellow Southerners, said the guy from Montana. Steve, goddammit, shut the fuck up. But... These regiments knew 
that they weren't fighting for money or reunification. They were fighting for the freedom of their descendants. And you know what? That makes me proud to be an American. End of story. Woo! We did it. We uh stumbled to the finish line like some triathlon runners. But I think we did it. I think we nailed it. And uh I'm proud of Greg for not singing that last line because I would have not been able to resist the temptation. I would never do that. I know. I hate that song. Go you ahead. Hate Lean Greenwood. I know. But there are four tiny, minuscule, but very important things we failed to address throughout the episode. But you're like, wait, there's more. There, there has to be more. And here it is. We call it the Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. The 54th was composed of soldiers from several states, not just Massachusetts. This was because at the time of its creation, there were only about 394 eligible black men in the entire state to fill a regiment of 1,000, and only 133 would wind up volunteering. Because of this, rich Massachusetts abolitionists formed committees and spent a ton of of money to recruit free black men surrounding northern states. Fast fact number two. In May of 1863, the War Department issued General Order number 143, which created the Bureau for Colored Troops and placed it under the direction of Secretary of War Stanton. Under the order, all black regiments raised by states were considered to be a part of the federal army rather than a state militia and were assigned new numbers as part of the United States Colored Troops, or USCT. However, to maintain their pride as the first black regiments approved by Washington, the 54th and 55th retained their original designations and remained armies of Massachusetts. Fast fact number three. The commander of Battery Wagner at first was proud he had buried Colonel Robert Shaw in a mass grave with black soldiers. Then he caught flack for it, so he lied and said all the white officers had been buried separately. Then he lied again and said he had no idea where Shaw was buried. In the end, several offers were made by both sides to attempt to recover his body, but Robert Shaw's parents refused, saying there was no more proper place for a colonel to be buried than with the men he had commanded. Fast Fact Number 4 Escaped slave, abolitionist, orator, and writer Frederick Douglass wasn't just talk when it came to the idea of sending black men to fight for the Union in the hopes of ending slavery. His sons Louis, Charles, and Frederick Jr. all enlisted, with Louis fighting at Battery Wagner and Alesti before being wounded and discharged, and with Charles serving as an officer in the 5th 
Massachusetts Cavalry, baby. Woo! All right. Well, that does it. We thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Check us out, hunterproofhistory.com. You can find old episodes, bio information. You can find a link to our social media. We're at 100proofhistory. We post memes, facts related to the stories we tell. You can also find a link on Hunter Proof History to our Patreon, where for just $3 a month, you get bonus episodes, 39 old episodes no one else has access to, and two-day... And this is the part of the recording where Chris accidentally stopped. So, yeah. That's some drunken fun. Anyway, hope to see you guys next week. Week after. I don't know. Whatever. Thanks for listening. In early July of 1863, the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment was stationed on tiny Foley Island. Foley, goddammit. Fuck! Fuck! You know, I had this conversation with my wife. We're getting way off of the subject. But I had the conversation with my wife. Uh, She's currently pregnant. There's going to be a long break in the summer, by the way. Having a baby. (laughs) Round of applause. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But we, we had the conversation of, if we have a son, you know, what are we going to do? And, um, you know, ultimately, I decided, I was like, you know what? This is the way God made him. Let's leave it that way. But really, in my head, I was like, if he's coming from my stock, he needs all the dick skin he can get. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's thicken that bad boy up. <laughs> Throw a little flour into that batter. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for bringing us back from those history points. <laughs> I just want to listen to one hardcore history with Dan Cardinal when he talks about his dick. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> and it said, quote. <laughs> it said, quote. Don't take off my foreskin. I need every bit I can get. In <laughs> quote. <laughs> oh. <laughs>